I want to start out with a couple of requests. First, today is the last day to submit those end-of-the-year surveys that we handed out a couple of weeks ago. Um, we've gotten quite a few in already, and I, I really do appreciate that. There are um, some more copies out there on the table in the foyer and an envelope to turn them into. Um, if you haven't had a chance and you need more time than what we have um, just after service, you can take one. Um, stick in your pocket, go with your family, pray about it, think about it, study about it, fill it out and bring it back this evening. Um, also, the, the positive comments that um, I've seen on, on the ones that I've looked at so far, they're very encouraging, but I, I want to encourage you not to hesitate to challenge us a little bit. We want to be a people who um, belong and, and act like Jesus. Um, and we think that's a, a process that we grow into, which means we have more room to grow. We're not perfect right now, um, and there's things that we need to be challenged to do in 2020. So pray on it, do some studying this afternoon, uh, and come back and challenge us to grow further in 2020. The other request, there's a sign-up sheet out there. It's um, associated with Rooted Daily, but it's not just... Um, if you're listening to the podcast, we've got a, a daily Bible reading program, and we've done that before. That's not anything new. Um, but like we were talking about in class, I got a, a stack of books um, for Christmas, and uh, one of them cited the study Lifeway did. That it, it looked at all these different factors of what they called discipleship, and things like, do you invite people to worship services? Do you feel comfortable um, going to God in prayer in the morning, things like that. That, that people, they feel like they struggle praying. They feel like they struggle um, having the confidence to invite people. And the number one thing that they found associated with people who felt confident to come close to God and do these things that we're called to do is Bible reading. The people who read the Bible daily, the rest fell into place for them. Now, it, it might not always be easy, but if we aren't, and it also said some only 20% of people who go to church on Sunday say they're reading the Bible even every month. Not every day, not every week, every month. Only 20% of people say they're doing that. And so we've got a long way um, to go. And if we're not already reading the Bible daily, now is the time to start. And I encourage you, we'll send out an email um, once a week with a, a list, and it's going to oscillate between Old Testament to New Testament um, so we don't get too bogged down in any genealogies like we did last week. Uh, but we'll, we'll have a chance to, to get started and, and hold each other accountable um, in the new year. And this month, like I said, we've been telling the story of Jesus from beginning to end, looking at how our Savior was uh, the instrument of creation, how he was the focus of the prophecies, how he was the end result of the genealogies, and today, we want to finish that story at the end of December with the grand finale, his promised return. And next week will be a new year. There's all sorts of predictions about what's going to happen. Uh, it's a new decade, too. All sorts of predictions about what that year and what the next decade is going to look like, which companies are going to grow, which are going to fail, uh, who's going to win an election, what the weather is going to be like, what the climate's going to be like. And there are even some saying that this is the year or the decade that this world will end. And just like every year, there are people um, out there who are saying this is going to be the final one. They say 2020 is the year we'll all die from disease or from nuclear catastrophe or from weather or anything else. 
but this is the time, no matter what it is. So let me throw my prediction into the ring. I, I feel comfortable sharing um, a few predictions for you because these come straight out of the Bible. I'm not making anything up. I, there's no guesswork. There's no statistics here. This is what the Bible says about what we can expect to come. First, I predict that the world is going to come to an end, and we were warned. When Jesus comes again, it will be all over, according to 2 Peter 3.10. Secondly, Jesus might show up in 2020, but I'm not going to bank the farm on it or the house on it. I saw that expression somewhere the other day, bank the farm on it. I, I don't have a farm, but um, <laughs> Mark 13.32 says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And I think it's safe to say we can take his word on that. And third, lastly, when the end of the world comes and Jesus returns, it's not going to do anybody any good to hide in some sort of fallout shelter or, or run away like uh, some people tell us to prepare to do. When Jesus comes, he will come with power. Back in the 1800s, R.A. Torrey was uh, preaching on the, the second coming of Christ before a crowd of uh, about 3,000. As he finished his sermon, uh, he felt carried away by a subject, and he, he climaxed saying, it may be that we arise in the morning, or indeed even before we go to sleep tonight, or it may be before we even finish our luncheon after the sermon, or indeed even before we finish the sermon ourselves, that we shall hear the trumpet of the Lord and the voice of the archangel announcing he is here. And at that moment, while he was preaching, there is a uh, a clash of thunder and the blinding light uh, of lightning outside the window. Uh, and everyone there, there, you know, they've just heard, uh, he preached for a while, a long sermon about the second coming of Christ, and they were emotionally prepared for that moment, and apparently believing that Jesus had come, the audience panicked. You know, the crowd, they stumbled from their seats, they, they uh, rushed to the doors, uh, all except for uh, his sister, who sat in front, and she just threw back her head, uh, and she laughed. And a little later, um, he went to her. He said, and asked her, why did you react that way? Everyone else is rushing for the door. Everyone else is uh, panicked. Why did you just laugh? And she said, well, I thought the Lord had come. And that was what everyone else had thought too. But their response had been one of terror. And hers had been one of joy. So how are we going to respond to the idea that Jesus will come? You know, some people say, uh, this is a, a negative sermon to preach, that there is going to be a return of Christ. How could we possibly say that? Why would we be panicked about such a joyful moment? Well, how will we react if he comes today or while we eat lunch before we sing today or maybe even while I'm preaching this sermon? How will we respond? Will we say, oh no, not now, or I'm not ready, or why didn't I accept Jesus when I had the chance? Or will we say, it's about time. I've been waiting for this moment. I've been looking forward to this day, and I can hardly wait. And there's a big difference there. It's a difference between hope and hopelessness. In fact, that's what Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. With Jesus, we have hope, and without Jesus, we have hopelessness. Revelation 6 tells us about what's going to happen to those who don't belong to Jesus on that day. It says the kings 
of the earth and the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and every slave and every free man hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the mountains and they called to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb in Revelation 6, 15 through 16. The end of the world will be a scary time but only for those who don't belong to Jesus. Many will come face to face with the fact of judgment, and they won't like it, and they won't be able to hide from it. And by contrast, for those of us who are Christians, Jesus' return will be the most joyful time, the most exciting time. It's going to be something that we should talk about every chance we get. We look forward to it with anticipation. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul declared, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. This is a day that we eagerly await. Why should we long for his appearing? Why should we eagerly await Jesus to come down from heaven? Well, first, I'm going to live in a new home. Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for us in John 14.2. Revelation 21.4 tells us that when Jesus returns, he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You know, we'll overcome the curse on this world that began with Adam. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying or pain or night or hunger or thirst. When Jesus comes again, he'll be t coming to take all those miserable things away from our lives, all those things that make us uncomfortable and, and suffering. He'll take away the struggles that make us miserable. The sick will be healed, the struggling will be uh, strengthened, the dead will rise from the grave, and we will live with Jesus forever with a crown of righteousness on our heads. And that's how the early Christians saw it. They lived this out. Those Christians, they lived in anticipation of Christ's return. Maybe uh, it, it, it's faded from our memory a little bit. We've, we've had generations where we haven't been and seen Christ in the flesh, but they had seen him or they knew people who had seen him, and they eagerly awaited the day that they would see him again. In the Roman catacombs where the dead bodies of the uh, martyred Christians were, were entombed, there are inscriptions such as this one. In Christ, Alexander is not dead, but lives. One who lives with God, he is taken up into his eternal home. And one historian writes, pictures on the catacomb walls beneath Rome portray heaven with beautiful landscapes, children playing, and people feasting at banquets. For the early Christians, this was front of mind. This was the center of who they were. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson was approached by a, a very frightened man, and he was afraid because he, he was told that the world was going to end. Somebody on the street corner, I imagine, waved one of those signs and said, you know what, this world is going away tomorrow. And Emerson answered, never mind, we can get along without this world. And we'll be able to get along without this world is something that comes, and that's the hope that we have straight from Scripture. Because of Christ, a world filled with excitement and pleasure will replace the world filled with suffering and pain. So first, I'm going to live in a new home. I'm going to have a new dwelling that doesn't have all of the restrictions of the one I have now. But I'm also going to get a new body. Uh, our, our bodies are, right now, already a marvel of God's creation. 
but they get tired. Uh, eventually, someone uh, said as we were walking in, uh, it gets harder when we get older. Uh, eventually, our bodies, they stop healing uh, as well as they used to. But one day, we're going to get the chance to trade in this body for a new one. And Apostle John tells us, dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will have has not been yet made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In 1 John 2, or excuse me, 3, 2 through 3. Paul said it this way, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. When Jesus comes again, we shall be like him. Our bodies shall be like him. When Jesus comes and offers me a new body, I won't have to think twice. I'll put on that new body and I'll say, thank you very much. And I will be eternally, quite literally, eternally grateful. But that pales in comparison with the one thing that matters most about Jesus' return. Yes, we'll get a new home. We'll get a new body. Those are the promises that we have that make us have hope in a day that many fear. But we have something even more than that. We have the promise that Jesus is coming back for me. Specifically, he is coming back for me and he can be coming back for you. In John 14, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus is coming back for me. He's coming back for you. He wants to take you to be where he is. He wants you to be with him. You realize what a, a powerful thought that is. You know, Jesus is coming back for you. And now there's times we may not feel like we are worth coming back for. There's times when we don't think we're worth all that much. Sometimes we're inclined to believe that God must not love us very much. But Jesus told us we are so important he is coming back for you. He's prepared a place for you, a place just for you. And we didn't deserve to get into heaven because either you or I have been good enough to qualify for being with God. But Jesus is coming back nevertheless simply because we belong to him. Every word in this book is pointing to this day, forward to this day, when we're going to have a new home and a new body and a new relationship with God where we can come before his feet and worship him. Without fear, without trembling, without panic, we can come to him joyfully and sing praises at the throne of God. That is the whole story of Jesus. That's what we've been leading up to all month. You know, we, we look at Jesus in the creation. We look at the parables he told, the, the teachings he had, and it's all pointing forward to a moment when he returns and we can be joyful. He, we can have hope. He will return, and he is returning for us, the one who belongs to him, and that is why we have hope. As Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So those were the last words that uh, Aaron read for us. So you read this uh, description of Christ's return and how uh, there's going to be all this panic and all this fear and all this destruction, and yet Paul said, those are the words we comfort one another with. Those are the words that give us hope because we know that that 
ensures the promise that Jesus gave to us as he told it to John in Revelation, I am coming soon. You know, Paul, he's writing to the Thessalonians in these letters that we've been studying on Wednesday nights because they need to hear that Jesus is coming again. Aaron read that what Paul wrote in his first letter to the Thessalonians, but now let's look at the second letter. He says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, for which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, and flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you and him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Thessalonians, they need this encouragement that this message brings. And Paul writes, in no uncertain terms, Jesus will come. And while many will tremble at that thought, they don't have to. They, they don't have to have hopelessness when they have Christ. That Jesus will come, and when he comes, says three things are going to happen. First, when Jesus comes, he'll be coming to receive his reward in verse 10. Uh, it, it says there, when he comes in the day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe Jesus is coming to receive the glory that he should have received when he first came. Several years ago, uh, Johnny Carson had Billy Graham on his show. And at one point, there was a law in the conversation. And Billy Graham, uh, or Johnny, asked Billy, you know what, Billy, I bet if Jesus ever came to earth, we've, we've become so evil, we've become so wicked, I'm sure we'd do him in just like we did the first time. And famously, Billy Graham leaned forward in his seat and it says, in the Bible, we read that Jesus predict, or predicted that he would return to earth again. This isn't speculation. This will happen. But the first time he came in love, the second time he will come in power and no one will do him in. Philippians 2.5 tells us that, in fact, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very form God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now make no mistake about it. Jesus came as a servant, yes, but every knee will bow before him 
on the final day. And when Jesus returns, it won't be in the form of a mortal man, but rather in the form of the immortal God. And when he comes, it will be an atmosphere of wonder and awe for all. And every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that that Jesus Christ, who came as a servant, is Lord. Secondly, when Jesus comes again, not only will he receive his glory, but he's coming to retrieve his people. You know, look again at verses 6 through 7. When Jesus comes, he's coming to relieve those who are troubled. He's going to take them out of this world of trouble and toil. He's going to take them to his father's mansion. In John 14, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. When he comes back, he is coming to bring us to that place. And one of the most beautiful pictures in all of scripture is that of the church, the bride of Christ. In the gospels, Jesus tells parables of his being the groom, eagerly looking forward uh, to coming back for the bride. In Revelation, John tells uh, Jesus describes him as a groom dressed in white, coming in power, coming for his bride. That's powerful imagery. We are the chosen possession of God, but it doesn't always feel that way. We have these promises over and over that we should have hope, that we should have joy, that when we hear uh, a sermon about the second coming of Christ and there's a flash of thunder outside that we should laugh, we shouldn't panic, but sometimes we don't feel that hope. Sometimes we don't understand the great joy that will come on that day for the people who belong to God because we question if we truly do belong to God. And so what Paul is saying in this passage to the Thessalonians is when Jesus comes, we will be encouraged. We can encourage one another with these words because he's going to take us away from all of this. And Jesus isn't just going to take us away from our difficulties. He's going to shower his love and affection on us because we are his bride. We belong to him. We are purchased by him. Last reason Jesus is going to come is to renounce evil. In verses 8 and 9, in flaming fire, he will take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the eternal questions that's troubled God's people is why do unrighteous people prosper? Job asked it. Solomon asked it in, his, uh, in Ecclesiastes. Jeremiah 12, 1 questions, you are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease. David addresses much the same question in Psalm 37, but he gives an answer in that psalm. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't, don't fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger. Turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. You know, David knew our God is righteous and that God would remember the evils done by wicked men and God would repay. But now there's a, a problem. The problem for so many people is they believe that judgment is only reserved for the truly wicked. I, I think everywhere deep down, people believe there has to be judgment. There has to be consequences for unrighteousness. There has to be consequences for evil. We see it uh, everywhere. Evil people should be repaid that evil. But for the people who aren't truly evil, we say, well, they don't deserve hell. They must deserve heaven. And that's what, what Paul's saying here. 
and flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You know, the repeated message throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament is this. God won't accept us because we're good and we won't get to heaven because we deserve it. So just how do I get we're supposed to encourage one another with these words. We're supposed to have hope here. How do I get this new body and this new home and this new relationship with God if I will never be able to do anything to deserve it? Well, Jesus says, you know the way. When Thomas protested, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way in John 14, 5? Jesus responded, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to get to heaven. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. If Jesus went to prepare a place for those who belong to him, then I want to know how I can do that. How can you and I make sure that we belong with him? In order to belong to Jesus, we need to believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. We need to believe that he came and that he died for our sins. We need to accept him as our Lord and master. We need to join him in dying to our sins, being buried in the waters of baptism and rising up out of that watery grave to live a new life. That is what the whole story of Christ points forward to. It all points forward to his return. The creator who was made or used to make Everything we see, the baby who was born to a virgin, the teacher who was rejected by his peers, and the sacrifice that allowed himself to be nailed to a cross is the same God who will return in power. He came to us in humility to be mocked, to be beaten, to be tortured, so we could have a new home and a new body and a new relationship with him on that day. And that should give us tremendous hope, but this story comes with a warning. Jesus will return. That may happen in 2020, in this new year. It may happen in this decade. It may not happen in our lifetime. But this story has a warning for all of us. It could happen at any moment. We don't know the time, but the same Jesus who died as a sacrifice will return as a reigning king. He will crush the head of Satan, and he will be our judge. Paul told the Thessalonians, you know very well, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, Destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you were doing. You know, the return of Jesus is our litmus test. It, it draws a stark line between hope and hopelessness, encouragement or terror, and the difference comes down to a very simple question. If this would be that moment, if this were that day, would we be ready? Would you be ready? And we want to help you answer that question with confidence. So if you're in doubt, don't waste another minute. Come to the front of the room 
as we stand and as we sing.